fear, the ding-dong ditcher, pranking from beyond the grave. Thrill, knowing why the best seance spot is in the bathroom. Chill, at the bank robber's hideout, where a dead man never got the memo. All this and more to heighten, frighten, and stupefy. It's under your bed. It's inside the closet. It's this week's Parlor Stories edition of Odd Tonic. Welcome to the parlor. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Maxwell. We've saved your fireside seat on the settee, dear guest. So please make yourself comfortable as the parlor embraces you in its lush Victorian Gothic splendor. Mm, You can never have too much velvet or books. (laughs) (laughs) So true. However, we will not be drawing from one of our many books off the shelf tonight, as it's time to present another uncanny collection of parlor stories, true tales of the spooky and unexplained, submitted by guests just like you. All the submissions we've received have been simply Excellent. And this third volume of Parlor Stories is just as um, vivid and (laughs) ominous as the previous two, don't you think, love? I really do. Thank you all so much who have shared your experiences with us. And it's already our 10th episode of Odd Tonic. I can't (laughs) believe it. Neither can I. It's been such a kick to do this with you. And the feedback has just been so positive and inspiring. It really has. I think it's made burning the many midnight candelabras worth it. (laughs) Oh, I think midnight were the early nights. (laughs) Well, to celebrate, I did something. What did you do? (laughs) I added a little something to our teacups. You did? Hmm. May I try? Mm, Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Diffident and yet ephemeral. (laughs) Thank you so much. With notes of faint burning. (laughs) Why are you looking at me like that? Mm. Is this where you demand the bejeweled obsidian sphinx in exchange for the antidote? Am I the mysterious woman and you're the dashing archaeologist who has something I desperately want? This is getting far too sexy for the start of our show. (laughs) Perhaps we should table this parlay and commence with the spookies. (laughs) Yes, let's commence with the spookies. All right. Tonight's stories include a haunted home that was once a 1930s bank robber's hideout, a sleepover that became a bathroom seance, and a young girl's eerie adventure in a derelict automobile with a story to tell. But first is a collection of related and strange childhood tales from the Berkshires that comes to us from Rebecca. In 1996, when I was very young, around the age of six or seven, I was visiting my grandmother's house. Her home was a large two-story house in western Massachusetts in the Berkshires, built in the 1940s. While I was there, someone asked me to go get something out of the closet in the basement. My aunt lived in a makeshift bedroom in the living area down there. Outside of that, there was only the laundry room, and the rest was all plaster and concrete. It was a pretty creepy space. I went down the basement stairs and crossed through the dark and dampness to the closet. 
when I opened the door, there, in the corner of the closet, stood a tall man in a black trench coat and black top hat. His trench coat reached down to the floor, and he was so tall he was hunched forward, his shoulders against the top of the ceiling. It was super creepy. But the really weird part was, I wasn't afraid. At first. It was almost as if he made me feel at ease. He talked to me, and I don't remember our conversation very well, but I do remember asking him if he lived down here, and he said yes. And then it was as if something shifted in his face and his tone, and he looked at me, and he said something like, you should be very afraid of me. And suddenly, I was. I ran back upstairs and told my grandmother and my aunt what I saw. They were, of course, terrified, thinking that some strange man was in the basement closet. They searched the basement high and low and never found anyone down there. The only door that led outside was in plain sight from where we were. It was locked, so there was no way someone could have escaped. That is, if it were an actual flesh-and-blood man. Aunt Becky had told us later on that she thought there was a ghost in the basement, and that she had used a Ouija board down there prior to this happening. She was afraid she may have summoned something. Good luck sleeping down there again. (laughs) I never saw the man again, but after that, within the same year or maybe the next, my brother and I started experiencing strange things at our childhood home. We lived about 30 minutes or so from my grandmother's, Our house was very old and built in the 1900s, so there were, of course, your normal creepy house sounds that you could write off as being the house being old. But some things just cannot be explained away. I remember clearly the first thing that happened. It was during bedtime. My younger brother and I shared an upstairs bedroom where our beds were pushed together because the room was pretty small. My mom was reading my brother a book to help him settle down and go to sleep, when all of a sudden, my brother and I saw what looked like a hand slowly coming up from between the beds. And then it was gone. We screamed and screamed. My mom hadn't seen it, but she was freaked out by our screaming. She looked under our bed. Nothing was there. That moment will forever be imprinted in my memory. My brother and I both started feeling as though someone was behind us, lurking every time we were upstairs alone. Its presence was felt to the point where your hair would stand straight up, and when I felt its cold breath on my neck, it would make me run down the stairs every time. The feeling of pure terror followed both of us in that house for years, and it wasn't just my brother and me who felt it. It was almost all our friends who had come over, too. In fact, we had several people stay at our house who said they felt the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, dear guest, before we go on, we want to let you know that the remainder of Rebecca's stories involved the topic of self-harm. If this is a sensitive subject, we recommend tapping forward to the next story read by Jennifer. And if your little oddlets are listening, I'll warn you before we reach a pretty graphic sentence related to this topic. Okay? 
let's proceed. One day, my mom happened to walk into our bedroom to find my brother about to step out onto the ledge of the open window. She pulled him back in and asked him what he was doing. He told her that someone was telling him to jump out the window. He was just a kid, maybe six years old, and there wasn't any reason why he would think to do something like that on his own. So scary. And what's even stranger is that three people who stayed at my parents all talked about or attempted suicide. The first guest was my stepsister, who stayed with us for about a year. She got really depressed while she was there and talked about suicide, but never did it. She also talked about being really creeped out while being alone in the house and just feeling heavy and sad when she lived there. The other person was my dad's friend, Mario, maybe four months while my dad helped him to get back on his feet. He actually tried to hang himself in one of the bedrooms upstairs, but wasn't successful. He ended up checking into a mental health clinic after that. He never talked much, so I'm not sure if he felt the same things we did. The third person was one of my brother's friends. This was years after what happened at my grandmother's, just to give you an idea of how long this has been going on. He was 14, I think, when his friend stayed with us. This guy was 19, lived with us for about a year, and he talked a lot about killing himself. Luckily, no one succeeded in killing themselves when we lived in the house, and we moved out of it when I was 16 or 17. The family we sold the house to, unfortunately was not so lucky. And this, dear guest, is the graphic part. One 30-second tap forward will suffice. Proceeding in three, two, one. My upstairs bedroom was right next to a bathroom. The father of the family, while apparently in that same bedroom, actually slit his own throat, walked into the bathroom, and bled out in the bathtub. It made my skin crawl when I heard about it. I cannot help but think that the thing that was coaxing my brother to jump out the window and the thing that was making our guests consider or attempt suicide was the same thing that got to this guy. But he actually did it. It still makes me feel sick thinking of what happened after we moved out. I just know that the house was plagued by something demonic. I'm not sure if it was the spirit from my grandmother's house or it was completely something else, but I do know I never felt that creepy feeling again after I moved out. And after talking to my brother over the years, neither is he. I did some research on our childhood home and nothing comes up that I can find. Someone did die in their sleep in the 1900s in the house, but nothing about suicide. However, those things are not usually reported, so it's hard to trace. In writing this story, I talked to my dad about this. He told me that he found out that someone did commit suicide there before we moved in. My father has his own theory on the house and how the haunting started, and he told me something I never knew before. Around the time the weirdness all began in my childhood home, he had been doing renovations. While gutting the old plaster walls in my bedroom to put up some sheetrock, he discovered an open space next to a section of chimney, both of which had been walled in. Lying in that spot, 
he found a really old hammer wrapped in what looked like an old cloth with dried blood on it. He thinks we disturbed something when we uncovered that. For some reason, I always thought the hammer we found was downstairs, but it was actually in my bedroom. <laughs> so creepy. It all still gives me goosebumps to this day. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've got goosebumps. <laughs> me too. That house just needs to be launched out of orbit and into the sun. <laughs> But then again, in today's competitive housing market, it might be an added value selling feature. Hmm. <laughs> Two-story rambler with bonus portal to hell slash guest room. <laughs> you know, it's yet another story of how renovations can start activity in a house hmm. and how removing a, a strange or suspect item from inside a sealed wall can really escalate things. It does seem to happen all the time. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't Home Depot have an aisle for this? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, they're responsible for it, all this happening in the first place. It is their fault. <laughs> Rebecca, that was terrifying and disturbing, <laughs> but in the best possible way. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. Next, we travel with our friend Sean out to Colorado for a trip that is anything but relaxing. Back in 1994, my wife and I went to Grand Junction, Colorado to visit her parents for the first time. They lived in a house that was in the middle of a big apple orchard. It was documented to be a bank robber gang's hideout during the Depression. Apparently, one of them had been shot up during one bank robbery, and the other guys just kind of left him there to die. His name was Harold. That's about all I knew about it. I didn't really get a lot of details on it. When we got there, her parents kind of brought it up, said that light switches get turned on and off and stuff like that, your basic poltergeist type stuff. So I didn't think much of it. A lot of people have stories like that, and I've been around this stuff, so I was just like, okay. We were there a couple of nights, and nothing out of the ordinary happened. Her parents had gone out of town for business, and we were alone. One evening, in the middle of the night, I decided to get up for some milk. I was fairly conscious. I wasn't staggering around with sleep still in my eyes. I trudged down the hallway and into the kitchen. I didn't turn on any lights as the kitchen was dimly lit. So without incident, I headed back down the hallway to go to bed. Then behind me, I heard, hey, and I stopped and I instantly got the image in my head of her father leaning out his door and calling to me because he probably wanted to say something fatherly to me. When I turned, I really expected to see that. I mean, in my head, I just had a very clear vision of it. But when I did, nothing was there. The doors were all closed. Her parents weren't even in town, I remembered. We were the only people in the house. I stood there for a second while my brain was trying to rationalize what was going on, trying to understand what I heard when all of a sudden I heard, Hey! Immediately, all the hair on the back of my neck and my arms stood up. In fact, it's happening right now as I write this. I just went all goosebumps, and I couldn't help but gasp and turn and bolt for the bedroom. Normally, I'm not afraid of stuff like this, but somehow, it was almost like someone opened my lid and poured a bunch of cold water in it. It was this weird jolting shock that did not feel like my fear, and 
it was really bizarre and it freaked me out. I've never experienced that sort of interaction before. So I ran into the room and I jumped into bed. I'm obviously jarred and my wife asked, what's wrong? What's wrong? Somebody's out there saying hey to me, I stammered. She asked, did my parents come home? And I replied, no. Oh, that's just Harold, she said. Don't worry about it. And then she promptly rolled over and fell back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my brain was not shutting down at that point. I was definitely not going back to sleep. And I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. The next day, we're still alone. They have horses on the property. and My wife had gone out to the barn to feed the animals. I've heard stories about the barn, as well as this house. They say it was used as a drug dealer meetup or something like that during the 70s, and that there was somebody who hung themselves in the barn. I couldn't go into the barn because at the time my allergies were super horrible. So my wife was in the barn and I was standing in the kitchen. I'm a little uncomfortable being in the house by myself because of the way I felt during my experience with the disembodied voice. So, I'm looking out the window, staring at the barn. I am focused. I felt that as long as I'm focused on my wife, I'll be okay. So I was kind of standing mid-kitchen when the voice said, so as I was saying, and I bolted out the door. It filled me. I think he made a Sean-shaped hole in the wall. (laughs) I love this story. It filled me with that same shock. I've never felt it around other sort of ghostly experiences before. It was just solid fear. Some form of emotion had been transferred with that contact. Feelings that weren't mine, but I could feel. A projected fear, if that makes any sense. I have no doubt in my mind of what I heard. It was clear as day. Since then, the house has been sold and it's been torn down. I believe a Walmart or some other shopping center is there now. The former location of the house is now a parking lot. So it makes me wonder, what is Harold doing now? Did he move on? Is he chilling in the parking lot, messing around with people walking to their cars at night? Where do they go when their environment changes? I mean, it can't be like Beetlejuice. They took the whole house. (laughs) I love that ending. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, this story is great. And it's so rare that you get a ghost delivering a punchline. (laughs) I don't know. I think Sean missed out on becoming one half of the greatest comic duo ever. (laughs) His performance as the straight man was exceptional. They could have gone on the road and knocked him dead. Ah. (laughs) I crafted that just for you, my love. Ah, Thank you. And here's one for you, dear guest. TJ tells us a quick little tale about a sleepover of the very worst kind, or the very best. You be the judge. Back in the late 1980s, in the town of Clark Range in rural Tennessee, my cousin Andrea and I lost a mutual cousin in a terrible car accident due to a drunk driver. Mm. At the time of the accident, Andrea and I were around 10 years old. Our cousin had been in her early 20s. Andrea had been much closer to this cousin than I had, and her death hit her much harder than it did me. A few years later, 
Andrea was sleeping over with some of her friends, and they decided to do what I would call a DIY seance, <laughs> which is to say they just decided to hold hands, light some candles, and sit in a circle in the bathroom with the lights out. They didn't have a spirit board or consult a book on how to do anything. We lived in rural Tennessee, and they couldn't exactly go to the local witch store for a how-to <laughs> instruction guide on contacting the dead. <laughs> they didn't know where to shop, did they, Jennifer? Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> My cousin later told me that, during their seance, she asked our dead cousin if she could hear her, and if so, to give a sign to somehow let everyone know that she was there. What Andrea saw next was the first and only time she has ever seen anything paranormal. After she asked the question, the hanging toilet paper roll slowly proceeded to unroll itself with unseen hands, spinning down and down until the paper just touched the floor. <laughs> which would be unnerving enough. But then it very slowly rolled itself back up. <laughs> Needless to say, she never did another seance. <laughs> oh, I really love a good seance story. I picture them sitting around on the bathroom floor using a soap dish as a planchette. <laughs> They've got their circle of Epsom salts and their toilet scrying bowl. <laughs> Are you getting this Bed Bath & Beyond? <laughs> At any rate, I'll probably never look at two-ply the same way again. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> well, when we return, we'll broach the question, is it worse to acknowledge the thing that lives in the woods or worse to ignore it? <laughs> You're listening to Odd Tonic. Don't get up for a glass of midnight milk without us. We'll return after a strange interlude. Dear guest, thank you for joining us. If you weren't here, Jennifer and I would just be talking to ourselves. Wait. All right. <laughs> that, that would be lovely. Okay. Well, you understand what we're saying. More is definitely merrier. <laughs> and speaking of which, we've just launched an open group on our Autonic Facebook page. So please join us and start a weird conversation about something weirder <laughs> and get to know your kindred odd. We're all waiting for you. Meet us at facebook.com slash groups slash odd tonic society. Right. And while you're there, you can like our page and you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at odd tonic society. Now let's return for more ghostly goodness. Welcome back. So far, we discovered that Home Depot has no solution for the yawning hellmouth unleashed in your new remodel. <laughs> That critics described the new show by the world's greatest comedy duo as dead on arrival. No! <laughs> and we've learned that in a pinch, common household bathroom products can pierce the soapy scum veil between the living and the dead. <laughs> and despite all of this, we are headed back for more. <laughs> now let's rejoin TJ in rural Tennessee. Also in my hometown of Clark Range, Tennessee, my buddy used to experience unusual things in his father's house. The home was situated on a hill, its backside facing a very dense and large forest. 
One winter in the 1980s, when he was just a kid, he and his uncle left his grandmother's home. With an Atari 2600 game system in tow, they walked up the hill to his father's house. It was bitterly cold, and you can smell the inevitable first-season snow in the air. Around the time they reached the house, a strong flurry had begun to blanket the ground. After some time passed and they began to hook up the Atari to his father's TV, they heard a knock on the door. My friend yelled for the person to come in. The only reply was another knock. My friend got up and went to the door. When he opened it, there was no one there. Curiouser still, there was no footprints in the snow leading to or from the door. Hmm. My friend asked his uncle to come and take a look. He did. His uncle then proceeded to unhook the Atari and was back down the hill to his grandmother's house so fast he set a land speed record. <laughs> the neighborly knocking on the door proved to be the mark of an arrival, of something residing within the dark woods behind the house. And that wasn't the last time it would come knocking. Another time while my friend was at his father's, the side of the home that faced the forest was suddenly slammed with such a physical force it shook the entire house and it didn't just happen once, but for three consecutive blasts in a row. Hmm. My friend's other uncle later visited the house with some friends. They were all standing outside when they all heard something just tearing through the forest towards the house at high speed. They said it sounded very large. The uncle, an experienced hunter, had his gun with him. He had never heard such commotion in all his years, and he told my friend that he was so concerned and frightened that, if whatever it was had burst out of the forest, he would have shot it. Perhaps the thing in the woods had overheard, because after this, it changed tactics. One day, my friend was outside, playing war with friends in the same section of the woods near his father's house, and he was hiding from the others. From his position, he started to hear them yelling his name and saying, We see you! You're right there. Come on out. He crept out a bit from his hiding spot and saw the other kids. They were not looking his way, but in another direction, away from him. My friend got up and walked over to them, asking, What are you doing? I'm right here, not over there. His friends were startled and stared at him for a moment, confused. They then told him that they saw him, or someone that looked like him, hiding over in another, deeper part of the forest. Mm. Someone who, apparently, had hoped that the children would come to him. Perhaps a clue to what occupied the forest was revealed when my friend's uncle once turned in the house and saw a boy in a white t-shirt standing outside and peering in at him through one of the windows. A boy who seemingly disappeared when the uncle went outside. Was this boy another lure to take someone into the forest? We may never know, because the house burned down to the ground in a huge inferno. After this, my friend told me, all the strange happenings in the woods just stopped. Wow, TJ, thank you for those. There was a lot of different phenomena happening over there. <laughs> I was sure it was just a singular entity. It sounded mm. more like a paranormal party or something going on <laughs> in those woods. Maybe the uh, concussive blasts were just mad breakbeats. <laughs> <laughs> Our final tale comes to us from Kate, 
who shared wonderful spooky childhood experiences on our previous Parlor Stories edition. We're happy to have her back with another account from her days in West Bend, Wisconsin. When I was around 11 to 13-ish, we lived in a duplex, a split-up old farmhouse. The gentleman who owned the property was named Bob. He lived in the lower level and had a son about my age, who would come over every other weekend from his mother's. On this particular weekend, I was all on my own, which was a pretty normal occurrence, given that I am an only child and an introvert. I have always been curious and odd, although in my younger years I was not as proud of that defining factor as I am now. Still playing pretend at that age, I was bopping around the yard, chatting to myself, checking out all of the abandoned cars and random pieces of junk scattered around the property. The gentleman who owned the property was a jack of many trades, and there were utility buildings all over the property that were used to repair all kinds of motorized vehicles. Next to one of these utility buildings was a little pocket of junkyard gold surrounded on three sides by very tall old wooden fencing, and on the fourth side, a large brick automotive garage. For a kid of about 12, a junkyard was amazing to have around. The creative possibilities were endless. On top of there being lots of odd, random mechanical parts and old cars sitting around, there were also dozens of farm cats constantly multiplying inside all of the cars. On this particular afternoon, it was gray and cold, a typical fall Wisconsin day. I began to wander towards the junkyard portion of the property. Weaving through the tall grass that had grown up over the tires, the old motors sitting on pallets, and all the cats skittering about, I made my way to the farthest back corner. Parked in a back corner of the junkyard, with its headlights against the back side of the tall wooden fence, sat an old pale blue station wagon. The car was really wedged in. Its passenger side was aligned with another section of fencing. The driver's side had about six inches of space between its door and the passenger door of a jacked-up Oldsmobile. Beyond the Olds was a whole row of assorted, abandoned vehicles in various stages of disrepair. I turned myself sideways and did a slow side shuffle between the two vehicles and made my way to the driver's side door of the blue station wagon. I put my hand on the silver, rust-bubbled handle, pulled up, then, click, the door opened. Most of the abandoned vehicles in this junkyard were either missing doors or windows or were completely unlocked altogether, so it wasn't a shock to me that the station wagon was open. I heaved the heavy, rusted driver's door open as much as I could, thumping it against the already damaged exterior of the Oldsmobile. I flattened myself against the station wagon, shuffled to my right, and then began the awkward wedging and cramming of myself through the door into the driver's seat. As I tumbled in, I held onto the steering wheel with my right hand and the driver's side door with my left, pulling the door shut as I plopped down. Placing both hands on the steering wheel, I immediately noticed the key was in the ignition, and my right hand went to it without even thinking. I sat there, frozen, left hand on the steering wheel, right hand on the key in the ignition. And then I got that feeling. This particular sensation was one that I was becoming more and more familiar with since moving to this house. The sudden feeling that I wasn't alone anymore. An electric feeling that raises every single hair on your body. I sat poised, frozen, 
looking straight ahead out the windshield at the wall of brown wooden fence that rose up in front of the station wagon before me. It gets really cold when they notice you, when spirits notice someone like me, someone who is newly sensitive to the other side, not knowing how to shield myself from them. At that time in my life, I was like a flame in the dark. They latch on and draw from your warmth, desperate to be noticed, or worse. Suddenly, a sharp, quick, feminine voice whisper-barked into my ear. Do it! This startled me so much that I jumped and flinched at the same time, creating a chain reaction. I turned the key in the ignition, which miraculously started the old station wagon, which then caused me to accidentally slam on the gas pedal with my right foot. The vehicle lurched forward out of its sunken ruts in the earth, a testament to how long it had been parked, the front end slamming into the long, tall wooden fence ahead, knocking it to the ground. Just as suddenly as it had all begun, the engine choked off. An effervescent, sing-songy, two-syllable giggle rang into my ear, the same young female voice that barked the first daring challenge. And just like that, I was completely alone again. I immediately got out of the car as quickly as circumstances would allow me to, and I ran to my downstairs neighbor. I knocked on the outer metal screen door, and Bob appeared in the doorframe. We could always go to Bob. He was such a champion to us kids. Nothing was too weird for Bob, and he always knew what to say or do. Bob, I... Bob, I... Could you come with me, please? Bob gave a simple nod from underneath his worn, old, navy blue baseball cap and followed me out into the junkyard. The door of the old station wagon was still ajar. I hadn't even bothered to try to shut it. I was in such a fright. The very long, very tall wooden fence was lying flat against the ground in front of the back row of old cars in the junkyard. I helplessly looked at the scene and then at Bob. I could see a slight smile curved to one side of his mouth, hidden by his impressively bushy dark mustache. I, um... I don't really know what happened. I'm super sorry, Bob. Something freaked me out in there. Bob was wonderfully understanding. He never really had a problem with us kids mucking about in the junkyard. We were always helping him build us go-karts and forts with whatever we wanted. What a guy. And Bob said, Ah, I see. Well, that station wagon's been here a while now. Got it from a woman in the 1970s. Said she couldn't bear to keep it any longer. Her teenage daughter snuck out in the car one night, got into an accident, and, well, you know. Anyway, the woman said that she had it all repaired, so I bought it from her for cheap. The woman parked it there in the corner, handed me the keys, and left with her husband in another vehicle. I didn't go to mess with it until the next day. When I went to start it up, wouldn't even turn over. I looked that car up and down, not a thing wrong, just wouldn't start up. So, there it sat. Until you, I guess. Bob shrugged, walked toward the station wagon, and shut the door. He turned to me and said, You can help me with the fence tomorrow. Then he walked away with that same little smirk back to the house. 
every time I went back to that station wagon from then on, there was nothing. Never again did I feel anything there. I didn't really understand it then, but I think the teenage girl was waiting for someone like me to come along one day and set her free. One last little act of defiance, of youthful gusto carried out by someone like her, and she was able to move on. Tragically, beautifully, and poetic. Ah. Hmm. <laughs> Wonderful stories, wonderfully written. Mm. Kate, thank you so much. As always, we can't wait to hear more. Oh, fantastic. I always thought it would be fun to tool around in an old junkyard as a kid. Mm. But now I'm questioning everything. <laughs> <laughs> All the stories were really great again. Mm. May I say, we have the best and most talented listeners of any <laughs> podcast ever. And I am so proud to be part of it. Oh, all. me too. Dear guest, if you haven't already, consider sharing your experience with us. Yes. Everyone has a story and we would love to hear yours or your family's or close friends, <laughs> your neighbors or your pet stories. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget to join our Facebook group. Along with our page, it's the perfect way to keep that odd tonic vibe going between episodes add some mystery to your day speaking of mystery i mm. still don't have my obsidian sphinx <laughs> that's right so tell me jennifer mm. where might i find the antidote for this insidious toxin you've slipped me where i always keep it <laughs> my sweet poison and my delicious remedy <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, love, I think it's time we close this edition of Odd Tonic. Remember to subscribe so you never miss a show. We'll be back next week with more weird history, strange science, and sick paranormal breakbeats. <laughs> this is Dear Guest, goodbye for now. But remember, if you ever tread down dark basement steps and cross the cold, damp gloom to a closet where inside you find people hunched over, dressed in black outer clothes and headgear. Don't worry. It's just us. Good night.